We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dayas. At Nick Dayas 10 is where you can find me. Veteransminimum.com is where you can find everything for the show. Big ups to the members of the Patreon. You can support the show by contributing to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. My guy, A-double-L-E-N, Bay in the building. What's good, bro? Oh, man. Um, I'm buzzing, man. It's like the midway point of the season. We just came back from a really active trade deadline. I'm glad because there's some things we want to see the NFL take from the NBA. And I feel like this is one way they're doing it. You have very aggressive general managers, teams trying to get better for the future, or you know, teams trying to build a contender now. Uh, I see you, Dolphin fans. I mean, dude, is that is that where you want to open up? Because when they got Bradley Chubb, the first thing I thought of was San Francisco immediately because what Miami has done with the picks that they got in the Trey Lance deal has been Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, now Bradley Chubb. Dude, is that highway robbery or what, Alan? I mean, these are the moves that take you from rebuilding, what, less than a year ago to now... I'm not going to say Super Bowl contender, but if there's a team in the AFC that's going to give Buffalo or Kansas City problems, it's going to be them. So, yeah, one of the biggest deals I think we've seen over the past decade. It has to be. And if you're Miami, like you said, now you're a contender, like a legit contender. Like you were a contender, but I don't think people were taking you too serious because Detroit just lit you up on defense also. So adding Bradley Chubb is definitely going to help to you. and. I, I know I jumped the gun a little bit, but I do want to mention just as a whole, when it comes to the trade deadline, am I bugging for thinking that the last couple of years, Alan, the trade deadline has been the most active it's been, I think, ever. Whether trades yeah. are being done a couple of days before the deadline, on the deadline, or in some cases like Odell last year, 
where Odell got cut by Cleveland and then he signs with the Rams. To me, that was sort of like a trade. He goes to a new team and you saw the impact that he makes. I feel like we haven't seen the trade deadline like this in the NFL ever. I think last year was disappointing, but I remember, what was it, 2018 when Amari Cooper went to Dallas and then Golden Tate went to Philly. That was like right near the trade deadline. And that, that opened some eyes because this is when Cooper was young, Golden Tate was in his prime, and we've just seen those two teams that, you know, Dallas, Philly, they're always, for the most part, they're relevant. And I just remember like, whoa, okay, these are some big moves, especially the Cooper one, because the Cooper one was so controversial. Wow, you really trade a first-round pick for Cooper? What a colossal, like, it looked like the Raiders finally got one up on somebody. And no, Cooper, to me at least, I thought he made a difference, at least getting Dallas to respectability. So, uh, yeah, I think ever since 2018, we've seen a shift in just seeing GMs more proactive. And, you know, I think it's willing to take more risks. Like, look, we got these draft picks. Let's see what we can do with them. Now, what does this say about Denver giving up on Bradley Chubb? Do you think it was a... Yeah, what do you what do you think about that? Because I, I have my thoughts. I, I want to hear yours first. I don't think they give up on him at all. I think they they invested in Randy Gregory, and now they have a rising star in Brandon Browning. I mm. I understand why people may not know who Brandon Browning is because Denver is not necessarily a good team to watch, even though they're on prime time or nationally televised game like every other <laughs> week. But Browning's really come on for them, and I, look, they signed Randy Gregory for a reason. So I do think Chubb was expendable to an extent, but I think now, given that Denver kind of realizes, all right. We're clearly nowhere near Super Bowl contender. Like I think if the right offer would have came, they probably would trade Judy as well. But Chubb, I think it was just the player was like, all right, let's just try to build for the future and you know, to get a first round pick. It doesn't get much better than that, for sure. And you know his contract was going to be coming up also. And there's a guy who missed some time because of an injury as well. But yes, he's been pretty solid for them. And dude, I'm hyped that you mentioned Browning because they've been on prime time so much. The amount of plays that he makes on third down, it's like, yo, who is that dude out there? And then every week He's it's just speed. It's, yeah, speed, covers, rushes the passer. Like he is a guy you definitely got to keep your eye on when you're watching Denver. And the thing about Denver is they've been disappointing in comparison to what we thought about them coming into the year. That whole division. Raiders have been a nightmare. Denver has been unwatchable. The Chargers are a nightmare despite having a winning record because it's just so frustrating watching them. And then you had Tyreek leaving Kansas City, but still everyone was still high on all of these teams coming into the year. And Denver has just not been a joy to watch. And I think getting rid of Chubb, it's going to be refreshing for him also too because he's going to a new place. He's going to a talented place. It's not like he's being traded to a team that is in a worse situation than what Denver is. And I know Denver's coming off that win against Jacksonville overseas. But I think Denver is not a playoff team right now if I'm looking at a second half of the season outlook. So him going to a team like Miami who, dude, you saw Cincinnati on Monday. If they don't got Chase out there, Allen, it seems hard for them to move the football. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear Jamar Chase is the MVP of that team. Like, he just provides not just that jolt, he's just someone that defenses have to account for all times. Like, he just totally opens things up. So, he's their MVP. I think if Chase is now healthy, I think Miami's the third best team in the AFC. It's really right now Dolphins, Bengals. And it's unfortunate that that game where they played 
It was on Thursday night, which is always going to be an asterisk. I just think any Thursday night game between two playoff teams, I'm going to not take it all the way 100% seriously just because both teams were 100%. But then we had a two injury, and it's just, it's unfortunate. Those two teams, when they played, just the time it could have been worse. But uh, yeah, I think for Miami, though, and I want to mention a couple of these stats because I was checking out today. Shout out to Bill Barnwell. He talks about how Miami, they're like 23rd in sack rate and 29th in pressure rate per drop back. And even though I think Jalen Phillips is a rising star and Emmanuel Agba is solid, like Miami has not gotten enough pressure this year. I think that's why they were kind of aggressive in making this move. And also why you see their secondary getting a little exposed. Because mm-hmm. you can't rush the passer, so it's hard for you to cover all these wide receivers and these skill position players for so long. And Bradley Chubb is going to improve that. And what is he going to do for the yeah. other guys on that team too? Like you said, Phillips now, the attention isn't going to be on him. The other guys rotating in. I think this is a big move for Miami, and they have to be the third best team in the AFC, and they have a win over Buffalo already. So they're going to be a contender as long as Tua stays healthy. That's obviously the biggest one, and that applies to all the quarterbacks. I get that. But they got a lot of speed on offense, dude. And now adding Bradley Chubb, too, he's going to help your defense. And again, I think it's a real thing, bro. When a player leaves a team and goes to a contender, I think you get like a like a second wind in your season. Can I disagree with you on one thing? I think it's kind of like with Cincinnati, it's Tyreek Hill. Like, don't get me wrong, Tua has improved. I love, very accurate, quick release, all that. But if Tyreek Hill goes down, Miami is pretty much where they're at last year, just with better play climb. But look, we know how much of a vertical threat Terry Kill is. He scares defenses. He's pretty much Jamar Chase, except you know, probably slightly quicker and um, a lot quicker, I should say, and you know, shorter. But I think Tyree Kill is the same impact to Miami's offense as Jamar Chase has to Miami's offense. If he's not there, it's gonna be a problem. Dude, how many wide receivers in the league right now are that valuable to their team? Because I feel like there's more and more every year where you say that wide receiver not being in the lineup, I think I'm going to adjust the point spread for that game. I, we've been talking about Cooper Cup. How if he's out. Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Jamar Chase we saw. And there was a, I know a lot of people, I was watching some of the betting markets on the props for Monday Night Football. And this is why like having information can really add context. I mean, it adds context to everything, right? But Everyone was saying, oh, Jamar Chase is out. Let me bet the over on T. Higgins' yards and his catches. And the same thing with Tyler Boyd. But if you look at the splits, even though it's a small sample size, they play so much better with Chase on the field as opposed to him being off the field. So, yeah, you take away those 9 to 12 targets from Chase, they will go to other guys, but now coverage is different. Now safeties are shaded over. It's not the same as having, oh, shit, we got to worry about number one on the outside. We got to worry about Cooper Cup in the slot. So you see more and more Tyreek Hill, like you mentioned. These wide receivers are becoming, the. it's the most valuable that position, I think, has ever been in the NFL. With passing being as prevalent as it is, dude, Stephon Diggs, like, yo, Josh Allen is amazing. Let's not get it twisted. But if you look at the career trajectory that Josh Allen took, it also kind of coincides with Stefan Diggs coming over. Absolutely. 
So the wide receiver, man, it's you gotta you gotta show love to that position. And you saw some teams go out and get wide receivers, right? Uh, another one staying in that con- in in that conference and in that division. I know it's a little laughable, and I I've made my jokes at Young Joker, aka Kadarius Tony. You know that's his rap name, right? Young Joker, the mixtapes. I do, I do. <laughs> I love how when I'm he's a fan of the player itself, man. I don't know about the, the, the he does this thing, but I love Tony. You watch his highlight reel. There aren't many players that had a funner highlight reel last year than Tony. And the issue with him is he's just not healthy. And if you're Kansas City, if you could get him on the field, anything you could get out of him is a bonus. And you don't need him. Like to me, it means so much, Alan, when you have a player. That you don't need him to be a go-to guy. You don't need to be overly reliant on him. Like the overly reliant player on Kansas City is Travis Travis Kelsey, right? Everybody else, it's exactly. all right. Stay healthy, and if you could give us anything, like Miko Hardman scored three touchdowns like two weeks ago. And it's like that's a bonus because everything is going to Kelsey. You're getting Juju more involved and MVS down the field to stretch the field. Outside of that. If you get anything out of Tony who's super electric, like when he is available, he's a game wrecker. He can he can turn a three-yard catch into a 33-yard gain. And you throw him on this offense now, dude. I know this wasn't at the deadline, but how you feel about Tony going to Kansas City? I absolutely love it because Kansas City is one of those teams that could prepare long-term. Like I look at him, I look at Sky Moore, and they're like, all right, these are like the next receivers. If all this scantling does it, quite progressed, they could let him go. I think they like Juju enough, and it just it seems like him and Mahomes, they have a growing rapport, so maybe they'll value Juju long-term. But I just love Kansas State's long-term planning. And, like, you look at just from a play design standpoint, there aren't many teams that are better at just creating manufactured plays, you know, scheming guys open better than Chiefs. And, like, I think with Tony, you got him the ball in space, something major is going to happen. Like he, he, We know he can break tackles, but just his – Explosiveness just offers so much. So I, whether it happens this year or next, I just think if his head's on straight, like, look, Andy Reid, he's like a player's coach. I think it could be a huge hit. It's just a ma- I think it ultimately just falls on Tony. Can he stay healthy, and will he mature? Yeah, and the fact that the Giants got a second round pick out of that was both hilarious. Wait, third, a third. Yeah, I think it was a third and a sixth. Wasn't it a two and a four? But- I no, I definitely don't think Arizona would got it too. I mean, you could look it up if you can. Or I'm pretty sure it was a third and a sixth. Third and a sixth. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Because like, look, we love Tony, but like, he's had what five games of like tape in the NFL. You can't get a second round pick for that. It's a very small sample size for sure. Yeah, but I like the risk, and I think he's in an environment where he could succeed. I think it's just it's gonna fall on him. All right, I stand corrected. You know what I was thinking about? It was the the second that Chicago gave for Claypool. Because I know a wide receiver just uh, went for a two, so I was trying to, to think. I also would have felt a lot better if it was a two. But Claypool going to Chicago for a second-round pick, it seemed like his time in Pittsburgh was both cringe and running out with Pickens emerging over there now as a guy that they want to get more reps on the field. We've always talked about if... If you're a fantasy football player and Pittsburgh drafts a wide receiver, at some point he'll be starting in your lineup. And you saw with Pickens, like, dude is making plays and they want to get him more involved. They just paid Deontay Johnson in the offseason also. And Claypool, he's had a lot of jokes were sent his way with the TikToks after games. And 
that Thursday night football game against Minnesota where they're down two touchdowns and he converts the first down and he gets up celebrating and pointing. It's like, dude, you're getting throttled. Oh, like, don't, don't, come on. Yeah. Let's have a little bit of awareness there. Celebrate when you're up for sure. But what do you make no, of it? No, they weren't getting thrown. It was, it was a one-possession game, and he was wasting time. Oh, that's what like it they was. they were driving. Yeah, yeah. it was like no he huddle. Did it, and I don't think they had any timeouts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at that point, you knew Tomlin was like, yeah, we got to get rid of this guy one way or another. <laughs> what what do you think of that? receiver in the second round. What do you think of that? Because uh, real quick, I love, I love this move for Justin Fields. Yeah, Claypool doesn't do it for me. It doesn't excite me as much, but... You're doing what I want you to do as an organization for your young quarterback. Give him a chance to flourish. You, you, the, they have a two-headed backfield. I like, I like Herbert. I like Montgomery. I think those two pieces are solid. You're seeing Justin Fields doing a lot more of the Ohio State stuff. He's running, which made him such a unique talent coming out. And you have Mooney. But after that, it's like Dante Pettis. Dude's been on how many teams since he got into the league, right? Yeah. Now he'll be a number three, four option. You have Cole Komet. So I love this move for Chicago. They're freeing up a bunch of money, a bunch of, they're getting a lot of draft picks too. They have over a hundred million next year that they could spend. But I also love this because it's a good way to evaluate your quarterback, Alan. I totally agree with you. And because the Bears have so much draft capital, you know, we'll talk about other trades they made, but the Bears have been accumulating picks and they had to make some sort of move where it's just like, okay, we got to give Fields some support. He's like, he's clearly, we've clearly failed him so far. And like, he's showing some progression over these past few weeks. Let's give him a big buy receiver, someone that could make plays after catch, someone that he could you know, throw those goal balls to and who make plays, uh, you know, those contested catches that Claypool come into the league. That's where like his college tape really was about. It's just like, wow, you throw a 50 50 ball up to him, he's going to go get it. And credit to Claypool, I, I felt like ever since that Tampa Bay game where Pittsburgh pulled off the upset, he's been playing really well. Like the last three weeks, you see Claypool, he's, he's put up numbers. So, in a very bit unstable offense. So, I think Claypool has kind of not had a resurgent year, but it's, he's showing some growth in his game after what I thought was a really rough second year. Now, my, from looking at a long-term standpoint or just looking at Chicago's overall thought process, because we have to look at Chicago now. Look, they're under new regime with uh, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. This is my big issue, is that they had two second-round picks last year, and they passed up on the guy that Pittsburgh's saying, we're going to invest long-term in over Claypool, meaning that they had two opportunities to take George Pickens. He's looking like a star, and they didn't take him. And now you're trading for the guy who Pittsburgh says we don't value enough, but we're going to rely on picking or the long term. So that's where I'm a little like, I kind of wish they looked at more long term. Obviously, you learn from your mistakes, but I think not taking George Pickens is going to end up being one of their biggest regrets. And because you wouldn't have to spend a second round pick on Claypool if you would have got Pickens. So that if if I had to look at it like from the past year, especially for this Bears regime or nine months since they've been there. That would be my complaint, but I do like Claypool as a player, and I do think that's a good take, man. Uh, I didn't think about that. How they had a chance to take Pickens, and now you're trading for the guy that the organization is off of because of Pickens. It's always funny to to go back and look at those. I think my favorite trade of all of them, dude, that went down is T.J. Hawkinson going to Minnesota. I was high on Minnesota coming into the year. You you cut my ass on the podcast when I said Philly and Minnesota as my NFC title game. Still got a long ways to go. 
but I'm also going to, you know, break my hand and pat myself on the back with that one. I think come January, you'll be wrong still. But, you know, right now you should be thrilled. You know, look, the Vikings, I know Vikings are probably the most disrespected 6-1 team of all time. But look, they're winning their games. They're putting up numbers. And I do think this is a big move for them. And it's not just because Irv Smith is probably out for the next, what, two months. I just think the Vikings, that offense, they clearly need uh, a third reliable option. You know, I like Osborne. Yeah. I do think they need just someone steady. And so she says, you know, Kirk Cousins is going to, he likes throwing the ball in the middle of the field. He just needs a security blanket. And Hawkinson's been reliable for a long time. He's not quite the top 10 pick he was supposed to be coming out of Iowa. Like he was viewed as someone that was supposed to be like the, one of the greatest tight end prospects ever. He hasn't quite panned out that way, but he's still someone that's steady. And I think he could be a big time contributor. Dude, I love him on this offense. Think about it. What, yeah. what he's had to do in Detroit is he's had to be the main pass receiver for this offense since he got there, if you think about it, right? I know Kenny Galladay was there, but Kenny Galladay was also in and out of lineups with injuries. And also, I'm going to try to not mention his name again ever on a podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, you're mentioning a name right now. Yeah, yeah. I think, he, I think he'll be fine. $17 million a year not playing. That's, that's dope. I can't wait to one day make $17 million a year and, you know, not do anything. That'd be awesome. Shouts to Kenny Galladay for that. But, TJ Hawkinson, right? Now he's not the focal point. He's not the number one, not number two, or number three option on this offense if you count the running backs collectively. I think he's going to be flying under the radar. I think it's going to be something that Minnesota hasn't had with Kirk Cousins and this offense. This is going to be something that I think is going to change the complexion of their team moving forward. And of all the trades that went down at the deadline, like actual draft, uh, trade deadline day. This was my favorite one, dude. I'm so high on Minnesota. I'm even higher on them now. And I think one of the reasons why people are like, nah, they're six and one. All right. Worst six and one team ever we're hearing. And it's because of Kirk Cousins. But I think now this is going to help Kirk Cousins a lot. I still think that defense is a huge problem. Like, I don't think it's just Kirk Cousins. And I think, I don't know the stats, but it just seems like the Vikings struggle in the red zone. Like, it just seems like they yeah. always have some issue going on with them. And I think Hawkinson's the solution for that because he's that big body who, you know, who's proven he can make contested catches. And I just think Kevin O'Connell is a very innovative play caller. Like, I've really liked what I've seen from him, but he seems to overthink in the red zone, which tends to be like a Sean McVay thing. So hopefully Hawkinson provides some relief there. So, uh, no, I think look, the Vikings offense, they're still finding their rhythm, but... I don't think anyone's questioning at this point other than Kirk Cousins. I just think that defense is still very unsteady, even though, man, there is Smith. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What a season he's had. Of all these moves, we haven't touched on Roquan Smith yet. Would you say that's the one that's the most impactful and the best move that was done? I would say so just because you see Baltimore, like they've been getting gashed up, particularly when it comes to like in the middle of the field. And it just seems like Roquan Smith's that guy that can make silent sideline plays. Like Patrick Queen has just not panned out for him. He's been a real liability. So to get someone like Roquan Smith, who we know he's as motivated as it gets, I think is going to be a huge solution for him. I know the linebacker position is undervalued, and I do think Roquan Smith is not quite at that Fred Warner. Shaq Leonard, Levante David level, but he's kind of like Bradley Chubb. He's very good. He's never going to be elite, but he's someone that can be a huge asset. So I think for the Ravens' defense, which I think has been somewhat disappointed this year, this is something they desperately need. I also think where he helps that where he helps on the field is what Patrick Queen can't do well, and that's covering running backs out the backfield and in coverage. That's where a lot of his issues are. But for the most part, I would say that it's a it's a big upgrade for a defense. And it just feels like Baltimore has always been that team that is known for their linebackers. And they're known for having oh, yeah. players at that position that can be versatile and be three down backers. And I think that's something that he definitely is. And it's going to be a big addition. I think it's going to be a, a really big addition. They need him. And he's going to compliment Patrick Queen as well. The last move I want to talk about is your boy. Your boy is free, man. He's gone. Oh, man. Bittersweet. I'm happy for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy for him. Uh, I think he's in a good situation. It's You know what's just so weird about it is that he's going to the place where he bound the Falcons to beat. So, like, he got suspended for a year from the game that he made a bet on, like the team that took him in. So, it just... It doesn't feel all the way right, but, you know, I think Calvin Ridley, if he gets this out right, look, 2020, I thought Calvin Ridley was a top five receiver. He put up, I think he was third in the league in receiving yards. He had double-digit touchdowns in a very one-dimensional, poorly coached Falcons offense. So he's got the ability. It's just we got to see where his head's at. And, look, there's going to be an adjustment towards, you know, not playing pretty much for – he's missed pretty much two seasons. Like, he only played five games last year. And he's going to miss this year. So it's going to be an adjustment. Kind of we're going to see with Watson in a few weeks. Like There's going to be adjustments and not being on the field. But if it gets the time, you know, I think it could be a huge coup for Jacksonville. And they need that vertical threat because right now you watch the Jaguars offense. They have no one that can stretch the field. Dude, the conversation about around Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence has been like this. Right? And I feel as if now getting Calvin Ridley and eventually when he does come back, it's a fair assessment. What is he going to look like? We haven't seen him in, it's going to be like 24 months since we've seen him. It's a lot, a lot has changed. A lot could be happening. But that draft class, dude, from last year, what quarterback do you feel the most comfortable with if you were to move forward? Is it still Trevor Lawrence? Because I'm starting to like what I see with Justin Fields, bro. I'm intrigued by Justin Fields. I'll still go Trevor Lawrence slightly more, but it's not by a whole lot. It, it's it's hard to decide just because it's been very 
disappoint this whole class. Like you watch it, it's just head scratching play after head scratching play. Like we we want to talk about Zach Wilson. Well, we are gonna have to talk about Zach Wilson, but we don't gotta talk about Mac Jones. But I still feel like Lawrence, it's just I'm I thought he would be able to push the ball downfield more. And maybe just personnel, but like his deep ball accuracy is just not there. And he's just forcing it a lot. And and at Clemson, he just looks so composed. And I'm just I'm not seeing that composure. Even now, working with a, a coach like Doug Pearson, he still seems like someone that gets riled too easily. So I'm, I'm disappointed by that, but I'll still take him slightly over Fields because, look, I know Fields has showed promise, but let's not pretend that first half of the season, or excuse me, the first month of the season, that was some of the worst quarterback play in the league. Well, yeah, everyone was making fun of the fact that, like, your quarterback shouldn't only attempt 11 passes or complete only eight passes. But also, dude, yeah. the thing about Trevor Lawrence was he was running in college also. A lot of mm-hmm. RPOs, and he would tuck it and run. He'd have some 40-yard rushes. He'd have some 30-yard rushes. And he was so versatile with the ground game as well. They're not doing that with him in the NFL, and rightfully so. You're not running your quarterback as much, especially a guy like him. But it was funny how last year everybody's off Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be a bust. And then the first month of the season starts, and it's saying, everyone is saying, yo, this is a guy. They're 2-1. and one. They they obliterate the Chargers and everyone is saying this is going to be the guy. And now it's like, damn, this guy is not good. But you look at the makeup of the team. Evan Ingram is your tight end. Congrats. Christian Kirk, I still think I still think Christian Kirk needs to be a number two wide receiver on your team. So maybe having Calvin Ridley there is going to, to work some wonders. And I forgot to mention a wide receiver before when we were talking about valuable. Dude, DeAndre Hopkins. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Comes back and immediately just like, <laughs> what was he, lead the league in targets? I think he's had like 30 targets in two games. Did so, you he, see his touchdown against the Vikings? Like, he was so well covered by Harrison Smith. Kyle just threw him a ball and he snagged it with his left hand. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'll never forget DeAndre Hopkins early on in his career. I would always say he was the best wide receiver in football because he just had like jobbers throwing him the ball and he was putting up like 1,400 yards. And then he gets Watson and then that's when like national media and if he became a consensus top five wide receiver, like he was a top five wide receiver to all the people that followed the NFL, but to the casuals, it was like, ah, no, nah, not D-Hop. It's like, nah, man, D-Hop's been that dude. So definitely wanted to show him some love. That's about it for me, man, from the trade deadline. Is there anything else? I got one, and even though it's kind of like a supporting role, I think come January, and I'll think I'll say February, I think Naheem Himes could be a difference maker. Hit, putting him in that pass-catching role, I think they've wanted a pass-catching back for some time. Getting him there, even if he's only going to catch three or four passes a game, you never know what big third-down conversion yeah, he might get come January and I think February. So well, watch out for it. I think Naheem Himes is a good fit there. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. But the, the thing that worries me about Buffalo is it's still not a guy that you give the ball 20 to 25 times. And I think Allen... They don't need that. You don't think he's going to come back to haunt them at some point? No, they, don't, they got their group. And I feel like Singletary's been fine and Cook's developing. I, I think the, they're in a position where, look, them running the ball too much is a problem. Like, they need to stay passing. They're the one offense where it's a good thing they're passing. And we know come January, Josh Allen's going to get at least six to eight touches because that's when they start really running with him. So, uh, they don't need a workhorse. 
Yeah, man, you talked me out of it. I agree. Because you're, you're right. Come January, cold weather, they're going to be running the ball with, with Josh Allen. That's when you're going to want to run the ball with him. As opposed to right now. the Chiefs game last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You unleash him when you need to. Speaking of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, they are one of the games of the week for us. They are 13 and a half point favorites on the road against the New York Jets. Similar spot to last season where the Jets were double digit underdogs at home, Allen. The Jets got 50 plus points put on them by Josh Allen and the Bills. Josh Allen is a quarterback who against the spread as a double-digit favorite, has now moved to 6-2. and two. <clears throat> He basically beats up on the teams that he's supposed to. And there's one of the teams that he's supposed to beat on. Look, the Jets, I think there's going to be regression for both of the New York teams. And we were justified in being excited for the start of the season for both of these teams. But I think both of them are severely flawed. And both are going to start to get exposed as the season goes on. But open this conversation up between the Bills and the Jets, man. How are you feeling about this one? And why why were you so into talking about this game? Yeah, I, I got to let the listeners know because they're probably wondering why on earth did you pick this game? It's a plus one weekend that we've coined, right? Like this is a weekend yeah, where yeah, yeah. you're going out with the misses. It's a plus one weekend. Hey, let's go apple picking or do, I was going to say pumpkin picking, but that's in the past now. But it's it's one of those weekends where it's, you're, you're pulling at straws trying to find games to be excited about. It's it's a horrific slate and blame the Bucks and the Rams for being so disappointed. Like the Bucks and Rams are playing this week. They don't deserve it. Like they're both teams are under 500. They're really difficult to watch. I feel like if we were breaking that, down that game, we'd just be complaining all the time. At least with the Jets, they have a decent record. And the Bills, we know what the Bills are. So that's why we picked this game and we picked two other games. But we could not do the Bucks-Rams just because... These teams are so disappointing, and we don't want to spend 10 minutes just venting about how bad those teams are. So we picked this game. Uh, for the Jets, I just feel like we got to have a conversation with Zach Wilson. Like, Yeah, I'm ready top for it. 40, is he a top 40? I'm not saying top 32. Is he, like, I'm wondering if he can even be a backup at this point. Like, I'm really concerned about watching him play. Like, he seems like someone that's playing a video game in real life, and it's going horribly wrong. Look, man. I think he's a prime example of uh, wins not being a quarterback stat because he has, he's done nothing for them to win. Like, what has he done? This year, he has 12 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. <clears throat> oh, sorry. My bad. I'm bugging out. That's his career. Even worse. Yeah, he has three, I was say, he's, he's missed some time. Yeah, he's, my bad. That's his career. Still horrible. You're the n- number two overall pick. <clears throat> and excuse me. He has three touchdowns this year, five interceptions. I know he's missed some time, but even so, his like he's not having big games. They're, they're really trying to protect him. Anytime they're asking him to throw, it turns out to be a disaster. And I think it was being covered up a little bit prior to this Patriots game last week because, oh, the Jets are winning. They're five and two. And I even made that video where I was telling you, like, dude, you got to let us have this with the two New York teams how we've won all these games and it usually takes us two seasons to get as many wins as we've had so far. But it's being covered up by how bad these two quarterbacks have been when they need to make plays. And the two quarterbacks I'm talking about are Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones. But Zach Wilson, yeah, dude, I think the team runs better with Joe Flacco. Am am I crazy to think that? 
And the tape shows it. Mm. Like, you want to hear the, this is one of the craziest stats. Shout out to Nate Tice. He said he posts on that flick well, a couple days. I heard <laughs> Zach Wilson against the Blitz this year, nine of 48, four interceptions. Like, his completion percentage was that on about 20 percent. Like, you blitz him, he pretty much, and this is my big problem with Zach Wilson. Like, anytime he sees pressure, he will run or he'll backtrack five yards and do like a spin move. Like, you're not Jalen Hurts, you're not Lamar Jackson. Like, you don't have this athleticism where you could just run backwards and then think you have that athleticism to evade the pass rush. Like, I feel like he always puts his team in a precarious situation by just the way he handles pressure. He just keeps dropping back, keeps dropping back, and then he'll throw it like 15 yards past the line of scrimmage or, you know, other side of the line of scrimmage. And it's just like, you're putting your team in such bad positions. And like, I just, besides the Miami game, like I thought Miami game showed some promise, but besides that, it's like he's done virtually nothing. He's just putting the ball in harm's way a lot. And the Jets got good supporting cast. Like Conklin's been really good the past year and a half. And I think Garrett Wilson could be a stud. And Elijah Moore, poor guy. Like he's clearly someone that's talented. Get him the ball. So I don't think it's a supporting cast issue. I think the O line, all things considered, is built nicely. I just think Zach Wilson. Straight up, he's just not playing well. And you have to question at this point, can he be a franchise quarterback? He's really shown nothing at this point. It's definitely him. Because we were raving about the supporting cast as potentially being a team that can be enticing for a veteran quarterback. Or if you draft a guy, this is going to be a a hot quarterback class coming out. This is one of the classes that they're coveting. There's going to be a lot of guys. And you look at this Jets roster from a skill position standpoint, and we know that Hall blew out his knee and it was super unfortunate because he was going to be the rookie of the year. He was such a dynamic player for the Jets. But you look at Elijah Moore. He's having issues even getting on the field and getting the ball. You have Garrett Wilson, who's been a flat-out stud. You have Conklin, who has come in at tight end. You have the two running backs in the backfield. And you're looking and you're like, all right, look, we're not the Chiefs, but we're also not a bad roster from a skill position standpoint. We have a lot of young guys that we could groom with. It's Zach Wilson, man. It comes down to him of all of the quarterbacks that are eligible for completion percentage. He is only behind, only ahead of Baker Mayfield in the NFL of, you know, it's like that metric where it's a certain amount of throws that you need to be in, in order to to fit this criteria. And you mentioned the Miami game, bro. That was also like, Bridgewater goes down and then Skylar Thompson comes in and he throws the pick six and the defense had a lot to do with that too. It wasn't, it wasn't like he would have to throw from behind or he was the one building up the lead. So yeah, I think Zach Wilson is the issue, man. I wasn't a fan of his coming out. He had some flashes, but you look at any quarterback, he's going to have some flash plays like Daniel Jones lit up Tampa Bay, his first ever game as a starter. And I was like, yo, he's the one. (laughs) <laughs> he ain't the one, bro. Just like Zach Wilson. He's just, it's just not it. They're going to need to move on for it. And it's unfortunate because they do have a lot of pieces that I like on this team. And I know this has been more of an anti-Jet sentiment right now on this one as opposed to Buffalo, which it's it's not us being naive to it. But Buffalo, it's like, what more can you say about Buffalo? They're, they're Comfortably, they beat the Packers. Uh, yeah, they didn't cover, but it was still a double-digit win. They're a double-digit favorite here. Also, I think Josh Allen and and this offense is going to be able to do whatever they want. And I think the defense is this is a good spot for this defense that is getting injured, has some issues in the secondary, going up against a Jets team, which I think can 
begin to spiral out of control is a good spot to be in if you're Buffalo Island. I will say, just to help out the Jeff feds here, I do think the defense is starting to see what Robert Sala defense looks like. Uh, Quinn Williams looking like the stud that everyone anticipated. I think John Franklin Myers have a good year and Sauce Sauce and uh, CJ Mosley. It's great to see him out there playing at the high level and DJ Reed's making plays. Like they, they do have pieces defensively. And because uh, I think the start of the season, the Jets were like ranking less in all these major categories defensively. But at least now you're seeing some uh, players you could build around. You're having that key veteran presence in Mosley. So that's like the one positive I could say when it comes to Jets. It's like at least you, know, you hire Salah. It's like, all right, defense has to get better. And you're starting to see it. So. That's it. Like, uh, I think it'll be cool to see how much they could do against the Bills. I don't think it's a lot just because the Bills are a juggernaut. But if they could maybe force a couple turnovers or get a couple stops just to keep the offense high, that would be big for them. Because I think when you look at these two teams, it's it's hard to say. Hey, it's hard to see how the Jets stay competitive for too long. Buffalo by a lot or what? Yeah. I think Buffalo by a lot. But I do think the defense could cause some problems. But then again, I think wouldn't surprise me, like Von Miller strip sack, uh, Jordan Poyer pick six, Matt Milano. By the way, Matt Milano, put him in that upper tier line. I, every week I watch the Bills, Matt Milano is just there. And he's been doing it for a couple years now. I don't know why he doesn't get the love, mate, because he doesn't have the first-round pedigree. But he's, I, I would argue, like I know we talk about Tredavis White coming back and Von's Von, but Matt Milano might be the most valuable player in that defense. Just because he's the main communicator there. He wears the green dot. And he just makes plays every week. This next game is Atlanta versus the Chargers. Uh, two teams that I think probably felt as if their seasons would be different at this point. Uh, yes. One <laughs> expecting it to be better than what it is now. And that's the LA Chargers sitting at four and three. And Atlanta at four and four. Dude, I remember one of my buddies who's into sports betting was like, yo, we should bet on Atlanta to win the division. And I'm like, dude, let me put my $25, $50 on a better proposition. And his logic was, yo, if something happens to Brady, right? If Brady gets hurt, 45 years old, he was one of those guys where he's like, yo, you know, we haven't seen it yet, but he's also 45 years old. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is now they're, I don't want to say in the driver's seat, but they might be the most competent team in the NFC South at the moment. Definitely not in the driver's seat. <laughs> Competence debatable. Watch out for New Orleans. I think New Orleans is putting together something. But that said, look, I'm not going to be a total buzzkill. But at the same time, you can't watch the highlights this week and wonder, like, how on earth they win a game. Like, Carolina multiple times should have won that game. But, like, let's be frank. The, like, the ridiculous penalty to give DJ more after taking off his helmet, I didn't get that at all. And then kicker missing a 32-yard field goal. It's just, oh, man. Like, I had no business winning last week. And, it, it still feels kind of dirty. But that said, look, you got to give them credit. They have a clear identity. They have players you could build around. And I do think they are a good matchup for a Chargers team because of what we talk about the Chargers all the time. They're soft. They can't stop the run. What do the Falcons want to do? They want to run the ball 30 times a game. So I do think this matchup does bode nicely for the Falcons. Are you into the Mariota experience? Uh... It's fun, bro. He's, he's making it fun. And they're winning, right? They're four and four. And I think... Uh, with, they're, uh, as, go on, go on. All right. So <laughs> as, 
All right, let me give you my take. As someone who is not in the trenches with the Falcons, you cover the team, yeah. you love the team, it's your squad, you know them fairly well, you're my Falcons guy. As an outside source watching, they're a team that's compelling to me with Mariota at quarterback. Does he make mistakes? Does he make tragic mistakes? Sure, that's fair. But I also think that they're, they're interesting. Kyle Pitts, we're still waiting for this explosion. I know he scored a touchdown last week, but... Drake London, it seems like anyone in the backfield is at least productive. I would like to see Patterson back as someone who, Alan, the Dirty Lambs are on a four-game winning streak in fantasy, bro. Right when I thought it was going to be, right when I thought I was going to be taken away, they pulled me back in. Patterson on my bench hurt. All all signs are pointing to him playing this Sunday. That'd be nice. That would definitely help out the Dirty Lambs. That would also make them even more interesting too, Atlanta, dude. Because, you know, look, you got you got Drake London. You got Kyle Pitts, Patterson. You got some weapons out there. And then Mariota could do his thing. I don't know, yeah. man. I think they, you're they being a little it, too critical. No, my issue with Mariota is just as many gutsy plays as he makes. He makes as many mind-boggling plays. Like Absolutely. He's just, not, he's just not accurate. The two interceptions were just bizarre. He, through go balls to five foot ten to Mari Bird, who yes, the Mari Bird's an explosive threat, but he's not someone you're chucking the ball downfield to, expecting him to make a contested catch. It's just he's just so inconsistent, and I think just the preseason of how good Ritter looked, people want to see Ritter. But that said, Mariota he pretty much won them the game running the zone read. Like Mario is so dangerous with his feet, and he's so good at keeping edge rushers and linebackers like. Sicily getting the map position with his eyes. Like he's so good at using his eyes to bait him. And then he'll just get to the edge and get 15 to 20 yards. So I think that's where the Mario experience works. And he just fits well with Arthur Smith. But his limitations as a passer are very frustrating, especially for a team that invested the last two uh, top 10 picks they had are on pass catchers. So to not be able to maximize those two, because Pitts in London are not the problems. And we've seen Pitts last year. He put together over a thousand yard season. Drake London had a great start to season. Like, they're not the problem. I do think it's Mariota's. So that's why the Mariota experience, I would say, is still more frustrating than fulfilling. But look, Falcons are doing some cool stuff. No team is spending less money on their defense than them. So they're really working with just what they got. And it's gone to first place on November 2nd. So who joined the ride? On the flip side, when you're looking at the Chargers, <clears throat> it's weird to call the eighth game of the season, a must win. But I think this is a must win for the Chargers. They're coming off a bye week. They're sitting at four and three. And the reason why I say must win, Alan, their next six games at San Francisco, that is the Sunday night football game in week 10, home to the Chiefs, which is not a home game because there's going to be 70% of the audience is going to be Chiefs fans. Then you go to the Arizona Cardinals, which they'll probably be the favorite, but also it's, is Kyler Murray just going to have one of those ridiculous games where he accounts for five touchdowns, which could always happen. Then you play the Vegas Raiders on the road, and then you play at home against Miami, who in all of your home games, you're not going to have a home field advantage. And you're going to play some tough opponents on the road, dude. So you want to win this game if you're the Chargers and you move to five and three. Because then if you're looking at the rest of the way, these next six games, you want to go 500. This is one of the games that you need to win. 
And I have a lot of concerns when it comes to the Chargers. I think they've gotten hurt, which seems to be the MO year in, year out with them. And I fell yeah. for that trap too. It's just, it's wild when it keeps happening, dude. Like we've seen teams have that season from hell. Ravens last year, they had the most players on IR in the last 30 years. Right? I think the stat was like 191 starts of your projected 22 starters they missed last year, which was the most. In 2020, the year after the Super Bowl that the San Francisco 49ers went to, they lost like five players to torn ACLs and they lost a lot of guys to injury. And then it seems like with the Chargers, it's not that drastic yet, but you lose your tackle. Mike Williams got hurt. Keenan Allen is back, but he's also a 30-plus-year-old wide receiver who has hamstring issues now. That's going to be lingering. Yeah. It's concerning if you're the Chargers and also the fact that Justin Herbert averages like two yards per attempt. Like it's a wild stat where most of his throws are coming at the line of scrimmage. It's like, dude, you have a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes kind of player. He literally has the most ridiculous arm in the league and you're treating him like 2018 Eli Manning. With the checkdowns, everything's at the line of scrimmage or it's, yo, Austin, here. Check down to Eckler. And it's like, what are we doing, dude? What are we doing? Yeah. I said from I'm the beginning Joe Lombardi, that. man. You know what's going to happen? Their head coach right now, I think, is doing uh, analyst work for Fox. Oh, man. What a fit that would be. If, it, if they could pull it off. Dude, you saw Brilliant. him in the stands, right? He was in the stands watching the game and they gave him the little graphic. And I know it was a Fox game too, but it's like, oh, mm -hmm. Sean Payton is here. Sean yeah. Payton, why hey, not, dude? Mike McCarthy's showing all of us up, man. It's clear not going to be Mike McCarthy. So why not? Why not Chargers? I think Brandon Staley, if they don't make the playoffs this year, is going to get fired. And I think that is the number one role you can have in the NFL. I know a couple of weeks ago, I tried to make a terrible, terrible example of, was it Chargers and the Panthers? I said, which role would you rather have as head coach? And you're like, dude, oh, yeah. you're like, dude, come on enough. It's the Chargers. Like you get to have Justin Herbert. Yeah. Sean Payton, bro. Sean Payton, 2023 will be the head coach for the LA Chargers. I'm going to clip this and then just resurface it every now and then. The more Staley struggles with the offense, the more I'm going to be putting this up. And then hopefully we have that flashback to me talking about this. I think it's, I think it's a great move. Yeah, agreed. I would absolutely love it. We, we know how good Sean Payton is. Do we think the Chargers, after the bye week, have answered some concerns and they'll take care of business against your Falcons? I don't know how you can trust this coaching staff at this point because it seems like every week they're making a bad decision whether it's time management or fourth down or just I don't trust their coaches Steph I don't trust the defense and like I love their quarterback but right now it's like Keen Allen's banged up like he's not 100% starting to play so it's like Gerald Everett and Josh Palmer a bunch of guys like I wouldn't be surprised if Eckler got like 30 touches between the rushes and receiving yards but nah man I'm gonna go with the Falcons like I just think this matchup benefits them like I, I see them doing what they did against Cleveland running the ball 35 times, especially if Patterson's back. Patterson gives him that explosiveness. Control the clock. And I just don't think the Chargers have enough offensively, which is crazy because, like, the Falcons' defense is so bad. But, like, they don't, they don't push the ball downfield. And just, yeah, they could dink and dunk. But 
I think the Falcons can control time possession, and I trust Arthur Smith and Dean Pease to outcoach Brand Staley and Joe Lombardi. I agree with you. Yeah, I would definitely take that coaching combo versus the other one. I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I agree with you. I think the Falcons take care of business, and then it's going to be panic time in Los Angeles, especially with what they got next. Niners, Chiefs, Cardinals, Raiders, Dolphins. Oof. Oh, God. The, dude, that, that Niners. Oh, my God. They're going to get a, a, a rested Niners team. Call for bye. Debo probably back. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> oh. Dude, that game's going to be hard. That game's going to be unwatchable California. by halftime. Yeah. Oh, I know. But that first half is going to be beautiful, man. We're going we're to see Debo, McCaffrey, Ayuk, Kittle. Oh, my God. That offense. I can't wait to talk about We're going to talk a lot more Niners in the future. Boy, what, what a performance against the Rams. Yeah, they were dominant. Alan, I would love to continue, man, but we got to wrap this one up. Um, the Titans are on Sunday night, folks. Watch them. That's all it's Yeah, that was, that was the last game that you wanted to mention. <laughs> I know you're, you're high. Hey, listen, I, last year I turned it around for the San Francisco 49ers when I shitted on Kyle Shanahan and I said that he was mid and he was overrated. And then they won seven of their last eight games. And this year I was ready to cash my ticket on the other nine and a half wins for the Titans. And what have they done? They've won five straight games. And now they're clearly the best team in their division. Once again, shouts to Mike Vrabel, dude. Like, Mike oh, Vrabel, yeah. he's not going to win it because he won it last year, and rightfully so. But Mike Vrabel, again, coach of the year candidate. Just, I don't know how he's doing it, man. The, the, the quarterback position is very weak. I know they started Willis last week. Uh, Derrick Henry is back. They have no one of importance at the wide receiver position and they're just don't, don't, hey, don't slander Bob Woods like that man leave leave Bob Woods alone yeah that's my guy that's my guy I, I do like Robert Woods for sure but still yeah, like he's not starting on your fantasy team right like no, he's not getting like, you excited he, no man but he's a valuable contributor man he's not just he's, take a, fast, yeah. he's a good football player damn it he's a very good football player and I've always felt like yeah. he was he was a guy that if you watched you'd admire and respect. But if you watch his box scores, you'd be like, this guy yeah. is, this guy is awful. And he's perfect for them too with the rushing. Like they want to run the ball the and best, he's a great run blocking players. wide receivers oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But, but uh, that said though, uh, they're playing the Chiefs and the Chiefs are probably going to win by like 24. But uh, nevertheless, respect the Titans for doing everything they can with a very large roster. Yeah, man. And we were... This was going to be one of the games we were going to highlight, but they're also a 12-point underdog, right? And it, we're, again, yeah. we're, we talked about the games that we talked about, the Falcons and the Chargers, and then the other two games were double-digit favorites expected. It's, it's a bad slate. It's going to be a bad, bad slate. Like it was about two weeks ago, too. It was a pretty wacky slate, too. Better days are ahead, we can hope. Alan, where can they find you on social media? Alan Sturk, A-L-L-E-N-S-T-R-K. At Nick Deus 10 is where you can find me. VeteransMinimum.com is where you can find everything for the show. And we will catch you guys next Monday on Veterans Minimum. Got it. Got it.